0: Chapter fourteen, part one of the life of Harriet Beecher Stowe, compiled from her letters and journals by her son Charles Edward Stowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen, the minister's wooing, eighteen fifty seven through eighteen fifty nine. Part one, death of Mrs. Stowe's oldest son, letter to the Duchess of Sutherland letter to her daughters in paris letter to her sister catherine visit to brunswick and orr's island writes the minister's wooing and the pearl of orr's island mr whittier's comments mr lowell on the minister's wooing letter to mrs stowe from mr lowell john ruskin on the minister's wooing a year of sadness letter to lady byron letter to her daughter departure for europe immediately after mrs stowe's return from england in june eighteen fifty seven a crushing sorrow came upon her in the death of her eldest son henry ellis who was drowned while bathing in the connecticut river at hanover new hampshire where he was pursuing his studies as a member of the freshman class in dartmouth college this melancholy event took place the ninth of July, 1857, and the 3rd of August Mrs. Stowe wrote to the Duchess of Sutherland. Dear friend, before this reaches you, you will have perhaps learned from other sources of the sad blow which has fallen upon us. Our darling, our good, beautiful boy, snatched away in the moment of health and happiness. Alas, could I know that when I parted from my Henry on English shores that I should never see him more? I returned to my home, and amid the jubilee of meeting the rest was fain to be satisfied with only a letter from him, saying that his college examinations were coming on, and he must defer seeing me a week or two till they were over. I thought then of taking his younger brother and going up to visit him, but the health of the latter seeming unfavourably affected by the sea-coast air. I turned back with him to a water-cure establishment. Before I had been two weeks absent, a fatal telegram hurried me home, and when I arrived there it was to find the house filled with his weeping classmates who had just come bringing his remains. There he lay, so calm, so placid, so peaceful, that I could not believe that he would not smile upon me, and that my voice which always had such power over him could not recall him there had always been such a peculiar union such a tenderness between us i had had such power always to call up answering feelings to my own that it seemed impossible that he could be silent and unmoved at my grief but yet dear friend i am sensible that in this last sad scene i had an alleviation that was not granted to you i recollect in the mournful letter you wrote me about that time you said that you mourned that you had never told your own dear one how much you loved him that sentence touched me at the time i laid it to heart and from that time lost no occasion of expressing to my children those feelings that we too often defer to express to our dearest friends till it is forever too late he did fully know how i loved him and some of the last loving words he spoke were of me the very day that he was taken from us and when he was just rising from the table of his boarding-house to go whence he never returned some one noticed the seal ring which you may remember to have seen on his finger and said how beautiful that ring is yes he said and best of all it was my mother's gift to me that ring, taken from the lifeless hand a few hours later, was sent to me. Singularly enough, it is broken right across the name from a fall a little time previous. It is a great comfort to me, dear friend, that I took Henry with me to Dunrobin, i hesitated about keeping him so long from his studies but still i thought a mind so observing and appreciative might learn from such a tour more than through books and so it was he returned from england full of high resolves and manly purposes i may not be what the world calls a christian he wrote but i will live such a life as a christian ought to live such a life as every true man ought to live henceforth he became remarkable for a strict order and energy and a vigilant temperance and care of his bodily health docility and deference to his parents and teachers and perseverance in every duty well from the hard battle of this life he is excused and the will is taken for the deed and whatever comes his heart will not be pierced as mine is "'but I am glad that I can connect him "'with all my choicest remembrances of the old world. Dunrobin Robin will always be dearer to me now, "'and I have felt towards you and the Duke a turning of spirit, "'because I remember how kindly you always looked on and spoke to him. "'I knew then it was the angel of your lost one "'that stirred your hearts with tenderness "'when you looked on another so near his age.' the plaid that the duke gave him and which he valued as one of the chief of his boyish treasures will hang in his room for still we have a room that we call his you will understand you will feel this sorrow with us as few can my poor husband is much prostrated i need not say more you know what this must be to a father's heart BUT STILL I REPEAT WHAT I SAID WHEN I SAW YOU LAST. OUR DEAD ARE MINISTERING ANGELS. THEY TEACH US TO LOVE. THEY FILL US WITH TENDERNESS FOR ALL THAT CAN SUFFER. THESE WEARY HOURS WHEN SORROW MAKES US FOR THE TIME BLIND AND DEAF AND DUMB HAVE THEIR PROMISE. THESE HOURS COME IN ANSWER TO OUR PRAYERS FOR NEARNESS TO GOD. IT IS ALWAYS OUR TREASURE THAT THE LIGHTNING STRIKES. I HAVE POURED OUT MY HEART TO YOU, BECAUSE YOU CAN UNDERSTAND. WHILE I WAS VISITING IN Hanover, WHERE HENRY DIED, A POOR, DEAF, OLD, SLAVE WOMAN, WHO HAS STILL FIVE CHILDREN IN BONDAGE, CAME TO COMFORT ME. BEAR UP, DEAR SOUL, SHE SAID. YOU MUST BEAR IT, FOR THE LORD LOVES YE. SHE SAID FURTHER sunday is a heavy day to me cause i can't work and can't hear preaching and can't read so i can't keep my mind off my poor children some on em the blessed master got and they safe but oh they are five that i don't know where they are what are our mother sorrows to this I shall try to search out and redeem these children, though, from the ill success of efforts already made, I fear it will be hopeless. Every sorrow I have, every lesson on the sacredness of family love, makes me the more determined to resist to the last this dreadful evil that makes so many mothers so much deeper mourners than I ever can be. Affectionately yours, H. B. Stowe about this same time she writes to her daughters in paris quote, can anybody tell what sorrows are locked up with our best affections or what pain may be associated with every pleasure as i walk the house the pictures he used to love the presents i brought him and the photographs i meant to show him all pierce my heart i have had a dreadful faintness of sorrow come over me at times i have felt so crushed so bleeding "'so helpless, that I could only call on my Saviour "'with groanings that could not be uttered. "'Your papa justly said, "'Every child that dies is for the time being an only one. "'Yes, his individuality, no time, no change, can ever replace. Two days after the funeral, your father and I went to Hanover. "'We saw Henry's friends and his room.' which was just as it was the day he left it. "'There is not another such room in the college as his,' said one of his classmates with tears. "'I could not help loving the dear boys as they would come and look sadly in and tell us one thing and another that they remembered of him. "'He was always talking of his home and his sisters,' said one. The very day he died he was so happy because I had returned, and he was expecting soon to go home and meet me. He died with that dear thought in his heart. There was a beautiful lane leading down through the charming glen to the river. It had been for years the bathing place of the students, and into the pure, clear water he plunged, little dreaming that he was never to come out alive. In the evening we went down to see the boating club, of which he was a member. He was so happy in this boating club. They had a beautiful boat called the Una and a uniform, and he enjoyed it so much. This evening all the different crews were out, but Henry's had their flag furled and tied with black crepe. I felt such love to the dear boys, all of them, "'because they loved Henry, that it did not pain me as it otherwise would. "'They were glad to see us there, and I was glad that we could be there. "'Yet, right above where their boats were gliding in the evening light "'lay the bend in the river, clear, still, beautiful, "'fringed with overhanging pines, from whence one boy went upward to heaven.' To heaven, if earnest, manly purpose, if sincere, deliberate strife with besetting sin is accepted of God, as I firmly believe it is. Our dear boy was but a beginner in the right way. Had he lived, we had hoped to see all wrong gradually fall from his soul as the worn-out calyx drops from the perfected flower. But Christ has taken him into his own teaching." Quote, and one view of jesus as he is will strike all sin for ever dead since i wrote you last we have had anniversary meetings and with all the usual bustle and care our house full of company tuesday we received a beautiful portrait of our dear henry life-size and as perfect almost as life it has just that half roguish, half loving expression with which he would look at me sometimes when I would come and brush back his hair and look into his eyes. Every time I go in or out of the room, it seems to give so bright a smile that I almost think that a spirit dwells within it. When I am so heavy, so weary, and go about as if I were wearing an arrow that had pierced my heart, I sometimes look up, and this smile seems to say, Mother, patience i was happy in our father's house are many mansions sometimes i think that i am like a gardener who has planted the seed of some rare exotic he watches as the two little points of green leaf first spring above the soil he shifts it from soil to soil from pot to pot he watches it waters it saves it through thousands of mischiefs and accidents he counts every leaf and marks the strengthening of the stem till at last the blossom bud was fully formed what curiosity what eagerness what expectation what longing now to see the mystery unfold in the new flower just as the calyx begins to divide and a faint streak of color becomes visible lo in one night, the owner of the greenhouse sends and takes it away. He does not consult me. He gives me no warning. He silently takes it, and I look, but it is no more. What then? Do I suppose he has destroyed the flower? Far from it. I know that he has taken it to his own garden. What Henry might have been, I could guess better than anyone. What Henry is, is known to Jesus only. Shortly after this time, Mrs. Stowe wrote to her sister Catherine, quote, If ever I was conscious of an attack of the devil trying to separate me from the love of Christ, it was for some days after the terrible news came. I was in a state of great physical weakness, most agonizing and unable to control my thoughts. Distressing doubts as to Henry's spiritual state were rudely thrust upon my soul. It was as if a voice had said to me, you trusted in god did you you believed that he loved you you had perfect confidence that he would never take your child till the work of grace was mature now he has hurried him into eternity without a moment's warning without preparation and where is he i saw at last that these thoughts were irrational and contradicted the calm settled belief of my better moments and that they were dishonorable to god and that it was my duty to resist them and to assume and steadily maintain that jesus in love had taken my dear one to his bosom since then the enemy has left me in peace it is our duty to assume that a thing which would be in its very nature unkind ungenerous and unfair has not been done what should we think of the crime of that human being who should take a young mind from circumstances where it was progressing in virtue and throw it recklessly into corrupting and depraving society particularly if it were the child of one who had trusted and confided in him for years no no such slander as this shall the devil ever fix in my mind against my lord and my god he who made me capable of such an absorbing unselfish devotion for my children so that i would sacrifice my eternal salvation for them he certainly did not make me capable of more love more disinterestedness than he has himself he invented mother's hearts and he certainly has the pattern in his own and my poor weak rushlight of love is enough to show me that some things can and some things cannot be done Mr. Stowe said in his sermon last Sunday that the mysteries of God's ways with us must be swallowed up by the greater mystery of the love of Christ, even as Aaron's rod swallowed up the rods of the magicians. Papa and Mama are here, and we have been reading over the autobiography and correspondence. It is glorious, beautiful, but more of this anon. Your affectionate sister, Hattie, and over August twenty fourth, eighteen fifty seven. Dear children, since anniversary, Papa and I have been living at home. Grandpa and Grandma Beecher are here also, and we have had much comfort in their society. Tonight, the last sad duty is before us. The body is to be removed from the receiving tomb in the old South churchyard and laid in the graveyard near by. Pearson has been at work for a week on a lot that is to be thenceforth ours our just inheritance consecrated by his grave how little he thought wandering there as he often has with us that his mortal form would so soon be resting there yet that was written for him as it was certain then as now and the hour and place of our death is equally certain though we know it not it seems selfish that i should yearn to lie down by his side but i never knew how much i loved him till now the one lost piece of silver seems more than all the rest the one lost sheep dearer than all the fold and i so long for one word one look one last embrace andover september 1st 1857 my darling children I must not allow a week to pass without sending a line to you. Our home never looked lovelier. I never saw Andover look so beautiful, the trees so green, the foliage so rich. Papa and I are just starting to spend a week in Brunswick, for I am so miserable, so weak. The least exertion fatigues me, and much of my time I feel a heavy languor, indifferent to everything. I know nothing is so likely to bring me up as the heir of the seaside. I have set many flowers around Henry's grave, which are blossoming. Pansies, white immortelle, white petunia, and verbenas. Papa walks there every day, often twice or three times. The lot has been rolled and planted with fine grass, which is already up and looks green and soft as velvet, and the little birds gather about it. To night, as I sat there, the sky was so beautiful, all rosy, with the silver moon looking out of it. Papa said with a deep sigh, I am submissive, but not reconciled. Brunswick, September sixth, eighteen fifty seven. My dear girls, Papa and I have been here for four or five days past. We both of us felt so unwell that we thought we would try the sea air and the dear old scenes of Brunswick. Everything here is just as we left it. We are staying with Mrs. Upham, whose house is as wide, cool, and hospitable as ever. The trees in the yard have grown finely, and Mrs. Upham has cultivated flowers so successfully that the house is all surrounded by them. Everything about the town is the same, even to Miss Giddings' old shop which is as disorderly as ever, presenting the same medley of tracts, sewing silk, darning cotton, and unimaginable old bonnets which existed there of yore. She has been heard to complain that she can't find things as easily as once. Day before yesterday, Papa, Charlie, and I went down to Harpswell about seven o'clock in the morning. The old spruces and firs look lovely as ever, and I was delighted, as I always used to be, with every step of the way." old getchell's mill stands as forlorn as ever in its sandy wastes and more brook creeps on glassy and clear beyond arriving at harpswell a glorious hot day with scarce a breeze to ruffle the water papa and charlie went to fish for cunners who soon proved too cunning for them for they ate every morsel of bait off the hooks so that out of twenty bites they only secured two or three what they did get were fried for our dinner reinforced with a fine clam chowder the evening was one of the most glorious i ever saw a calm sea and round full moon mrs upham and i sat out on the rocks between the mainland and the island until ten o'clock i never did see a more perfect and glorious scene and to add to it there was a splendid northern light dancing like spirits in the sky had it not been for a terrible attack of mosquitoes in our sleeping-rooms that kept us up and fighting all night we should have called it a perfect success we went into the sea to bathe twice once the day we came and about eight o'clock in the morning before we went back besides this we have been to middle bay where Charlie, standing where you all stood before him actually caught a flounder with his own hand whereat he screamed loud enough to scare all the folks on eagle island we have also been to Maquot, we have visited the old pond, and, if I mistake not, the relics of your old raft yet float there. At all events, one or two fragments of a raft are there, caught among rushes. I do not realize that one of the busiest and happiest of the train who once played there shall play there no more. Quote, he shall return to his house no more, neither shall his place know him any more. I think I have felt the healing touch of Jesus of Nazareth on the deep wound in my heart, for I have golden hours of calm when I say, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So sure am I that the most generous love has ordered all that I can now take pleasure to give this little proof of my unquestioning confidence in resigning one of my dearest comforts to him. I feel very near the spirit land. AND THE WORDS, I SHALL GO TO HIM, BUT HE SHALL NOT RETURN TO ME, ARE VERY SWEET. OH, IF GOD WOULD GIVE TO YOU, MY DEAR CHILDREN, A VIEW OF THE INFINITE BEAUTY OF ETERNAL LOVE. IF HE WOULD UNITE US IN HIMSELF, THEN EVEN ON EARTH ALL TEARS MIGHT BE WIPED AWAY. PAPA HAS PREACHED TWICE TODAY, AND IS PREACHING AGAIN tonight. HE TOLD ME TO BE SURE TO WRITE AND SEND YOU HIS LOVE. I hope his health is getting better. Mrs. Upham sends you her best love, and hopes you will make her a visit sometime. Good-bye, my darlings. Come soon to your affectionate mother. H.B.S. The winter of 1857 was passed quietly and uneventfully at Andover. In November Mrs. Stowe contributed to the Atlantic Monthly, a touching little allegory, The Morning Vale. In December, 1858, the first chapter of The Minister's Wooing appeared in the same magazine. Simultaneously with this story was written The Pearl of Orr's Island, published first as a serial in The Independent. She dictated a large part of The Minister's Wooing under a great pressure of mental excitement, and it was a relief to her to turn to the quiet story of the coast of Maine which she loved so well. In February, 1874, Mrs. Stowe received the following words from Mr. Whittier, which are very interesting in this connection. Quote, when I am in the mood for thinking deeply, I read the minister's wooing. But The Pearl of Ors Island is my favorite. It is the most charming New England idol ever written. End of chapter 14, part 1 Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana